Hi there. I'm Jen Hale Christie, and you're listening to Preach Her. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. One quick note before we jump in. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to check out and join our Patreon community. It's an awesome way to join me and others in this good work, whether you want to support women preachers and make sure this work continues, or if you want to partner with me and have actual direct input, there are opportunities for you to engage at whatever level feels good for you. So click the link in the show notes and let me know what you think. Today, we have a special guest preacher, and afterwards, I encourage you to stick around and hear our conversation about life, ministry, and hope for the church. And now, let's hear a word. My name is Bethany Moore, and I'm not cool. I had an inkling growing up that I wasn't cool. I was a homeschooled preacher's daughter, so that kind of clues you in but I was sure of it when I went to college. I went to a conservative Christian college in the South. So these fellow students weren't totally different from me, like maybe they would have been at a state school, but we were pretty different. Most of the things I was good at weren't really cool. Not many people were impressed at how I could recite the books of the Bible backwards, going from Revelation to Genesis. And being the best cupcake baker in my homeschool group didn't give me a lot of high fives and praise in the student center. And surprisingly enough, my dad's minister salary didn't place me in the top tier of wealthy students with lake houses and boats to go around. But that was okay with me. Being cool wasn't really important to me, but I was never confused as to whether or not I was. I wasn't. Maybe you weren't cool in high school either. You played the flute too much, or you were always out working on the farm as soon as classes were over. Maybe your top skill was Rubik's Cube. Can you imagine a world in which the high school value system was flipped totally upside down? In which the long denim skirt wearers of the world reigned supreme? In which our Dungeons and Dragon masters finally had their day in the sun and what normally would be considered so uncool or barely worth mentioning was valued and praised. Today's scriptures will be from Luke 18. We'll be starting in verse 9 and we'll read three stories right in a row. As I read the stories aloud, listen for what theme you feel like stands out to you between these three stories. Starting in verse 9, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified, rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
but all who humble themselves will be exalted. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He replied, I have kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, There is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, Look, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. These stories in Luke 18 are nestled between the show-stopping story of the prodigal son and his brother in chapter 15 and the triumphal entry of Jesus in chapter 19. We still have ringing in our ears the story of a brother who disregards his father's life and goes out and squanders his wealth. But then, in a shocking twist of events, is welcomed home, is loved by his father, is given a party, and is welcomed and treated well. And then we see a brother who cannot stand it. And now we know, looking at Luke, that we're about to go into Jerusalem, that we're about to start the end, the last time of Jesus's life. So these stories that are recorded are stories that are recorded on the way, on the walk. And Luke, who undertook to tell the story of Jesus, includes these stories in this order, in this location. And I think Luke is trying to tell us something. We know, reading the Gospel of Luke, that the story of Jesus is one of someone who ushers in an upside-down kingdom. And I think with these stories, Luke's trying to point out that an upside-down kingdom has upside-down values. It seems like God rejects the most logical values. He hears the prayer of the wicked tax collector and ignores the prayer of the one who has completely obeyed the law. He doesn't listen to the pious prayer. He rejects the piety 
and he welcomes the humble prayer. In the next story, we see the disciples are trying to keep the children from coming to Jesus. The disciples don't see the value in children. It's not like today when we have this children are our future mentality. It's more like the world our grandparents grew up in, that children are to be seen and not heard. Children were a commodity and they didn't have much value. And the disciples were trying to keep Jesus' time from being wasted. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't care about the value system of this world. Jesus says, let them come to me. I have to become like these children. And then in the next story, we see with crystal clarity what Jesus has shown us over and over again. That wealth is not an important value in the kingdom of God. And that is good news for the rich. That God doesn't love them for their wealth, but God loves them. That's good news for us. So if this kingdom doesn't value piety or status or wealth, what does this kingdom value? It values humility. That's the only entrance requirement to Jesus' kingdom. It's coming to Jesus in humility. In the humility of being able to let go of what we feel makes us significant. In the humility of saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the humility of coming like a child, so free and unashamed and willing. Coming to humility makes Jesus' upside-down kingdom crazier than a high school or Bible memorization would be cool. In this kingdom, God values the disabled and invites them in. He values those unclean by hemorrhaging menstrual blood. He values the prostitute and defends her to the powerful. In this kingdom, widows and little girls and those with no power are lifted up. In this upside-down kingdom, the oppressed are raised up, the unwanted are wanted, the blind see and the captives are set free, and all it takes is the humility to come to Jesus, to grab his robe hem, to cry out, have mercy on me even when the crowd shush you, to weep at his feet and wipe the dirt off with your hair to come. So besides coming, how do we participate in this upside down kingdom? How do we live in these upside down values? Maybe you heard these stories and you saw yourself as the disciple. Maybe you saw yourself as the Pharisee and you were brave to notice that. And if this is you, then engaging with the new value system is choosing not to gatekeep for Jesus. It's not the work of a Christian to decide the values of the kingdom. We don't get to value house size or well-behaved children or white-collar jobs. We don't get to choose those who are talkative and warm and remind us of ourselves. More than not being allowed to choose the values, when we subscribed to the values of the upside down kingdom, we leave the judgment of whether or not those values are obtained. I'm not allowed to say that someone isn't humble enough or isn't coming to God like I think they should. It's not our role to decide who has enough status or talent or wealth or that sneaky thing we do where we try to decide whose heart is right or who has the right attitude or who's humble enough.
It's Jesus who shows us the upside-down values of the upside-down kingdom. And it's Jesus who welcomes those who come. Maybe you didn't see yourself as the disciple or the Pharisee. Maybe you saw yourself as the rich young man, unsure if you were ready to let go of that which made you important. Maybe you saw yourself as the tax collector, fully aware that you didn't measure up. Maybe you feel free, like a child, but unimportant and held back. It's also not our role to gatekeep ourselves. We can't attempt to prove to God that we're good enough, that we're pious enough, that we're righteous enough. There's no showing God that we've done enough good deeds or enough important things. There's no wooing God, seducing God, convincing God. There's just coming in humility to a God who already loves you. We sometimes hold ourselves back and we have heard too often the voice of someone who criticized another person and we thought, oh no, you must not know, I do that too, that's me. And so we are held back from coming to Jesus, we're kept back and we're quieted by the crowds around us or the voice in our own head. But today, with open ears, hear the words of a graceful God who says, I don't hear you for your piety. I don't welcome you for your status. I don't save you for your wealth. I came for you so you can humbly come to me. Bethany Moore, welcome to the Preacher Podcast. Um, tell us a little bit. So I, you were autobiographical in your sermon, and I appreciate that. It helps us to, to know you a little more. But tell us about where you are living right now and what you're up to. Well, thanks for having me. Right now, I am living in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm living on the Harding School of Theology campus. I also work for the school, and I'm working on getting my Master's of Divinity at the school. So at this point, my whole life is about one campus wide. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Congratulations on you. working towards your MDiv. That's great. <clears throat> well, thank you for dwelling in God's word on our behalf, and thank you for sharing what seemed like it ended up being kind of a difficult but critical message for us today um, in a society that really, really elevates and values um, status and wealth and that loves to judge and <laughs> consider ourselves <laughs> the judge. Um, can you share with us briefly about you know, how this message came to be for you, kind of how you received it, how you've wrestled with it, whatever you want to share. Um, well, sermons um, come differently to me each time. Sometimes it feels like it's like breached birth and I'm just working and working and working. And I know there's a message and I can't, for whatever reason, seem to deliver it. And there are times in which it comes to me so easy that if it was a baby, I would have it on the way to the hospital. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's right there. And um, my older sister makes fun of me because sometimes I'll just sit down and I'll have been kind of working on it, reading the passage, working on it. And then it'll come to me like lightning. And this sermon arrived that way. Um, oh. I just found myself looking at the passages over and over again and saying, there's something so specific here 
about what Jesus is saying. And it has so much to do with a lack of value for what we value. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was so especially, as someone whose life revolves around my religious work and my faith, I was so especially um, condemned, really, honestly. And I felt felt the point when God made it so clear that piety is not what Jesus values. Jesus was not valuing the false piety of the one praying, but um, instead really just loved the, uh, the one coming humbly. And so, um, this sermon just sort of appeared in my lap and I said, oh, isn't there something a little nicer I could preach? (laughs) God said no. So, so that's that's what, that's what I ended up saying. Oh, I love that. And I, I love how you, um, invited us to see ourselves, um, in the story and, you know, made it okay to see ourselves even as the Pharisee, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as the pious prayer who's, you know, so grateful for, <laughs> for how good they are with practicing their religion. I think sometimes, um, for us churchgoers, it's so easy to read stories and see ourselves only as Jesus followers. Mm. Um, you know, as the, the, um, yeah, as the Jesus followers, not as the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, you know, like um, the kind of the people who get villainized sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, those of us who are inside established religion can oftentimes find ourselves most clearly in those, um, those religious leaders, if only yeah. we're, we're open to it and to seeing how we might need to humble ourselves um, yeah. and where we need to let go of judgment. I love that. I love that so much about the Gospels because there's such a strong narrative. It's so beautiful to be able to say that everybody can find where they stand in the story. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's different season to season where you stand in the story or Absolutely. moment to moment. And there are times when I've certainly felt like I was the one praying humbly. But as I was reading this, I was just struck over and over again by how often I'm not that one. I'm not the one Jesus is praising, <laughs> lifting up the story. And I just think that we have to be honest every time we come to the text and say, who am I really, who am I really in this story? And what is Jesus's message to me in this moment? And um, I think that's the only way to really engage with the gospel message with what Jesus is trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, you had this line at the end, which I just loved. You said, I don't, you said, this is, this is what God's saying to us. I don't hear you for your piety. I don't welcome you for your status. I don't save you for your wealth. I came for you so you can humbly come to me. I think that's, it's so beautiful and so true and so um, hard for us to live into, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, beating ourselves up over past regrets or um, working to try to earn some status or relationship with God to be, to be good enough to be loved mm-hmm. by God. And I love, love that, that, you know, I came for you, not all this stuff that you think you're accomplishing or, or earning or gaining or, or whatever. I came for you. Yeah. Love that. It's, it's really funny. That line is what came to me so first it was like oh wow it was like the lightning bolt at the beginning and then I kind of had to reverse engineer my way there <laughs> and um I knew from the beginning that that was the message of those texts to me that day and yeah. um 
I knew that was the message I needed to say. And so it was saying, well, how do I, I know that's true. How do I explain that from this text? And I think that the idea of God loving me for me and coming for me is especially challenging. Um, I've struggled all my life to feel more valuable for what I do or the service I provide to others. I remember baking brownies for all my friends freshman year of college. And I was going to a therapist at the time who said, well, why are you so baking brownies when you're stressed and overwhelmed? And I'm like, well, because I want them to like me. <laughs> and she's like, well, I think if you stop making brownies, your friends would still like you. And I'm like, well, what if they wouldn't? So I've sort of always been driven by this need to produce, to create mm, yes. love. And so recently, the last two or three years of my life, God's been challenging me that every time I sit down at communion on Sunday mornings, that I'm not allowed to make a laundry list of sins and apologize or do whatever nonsense I was doing before. But God makes me sit there and I breathe in and I say, God couldn't love me anymore. And I breathe out and I say, God couldn't love me any less. Mm. And I sit there for however long the communion moment lasts. And I dwell there and try to say, that's it. The comforting thing is that there's no going down. And the frustrating thing is that there's no going up, but <laughs> that's a comfort too. There's nothing I can do. I already have all the love, all the desire, all the want in the world. And uh, I don't know, there's something about that so free. You can just go on to live the rest of your life because you've, you're loved. You don't have to do anything for it or about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that. I hope if you haven't already, I hope one day you get to share that um, in, a, in a communion meditation where you worship. Mm. It's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us, for sharing from your heart, for letting God's spirit um, break your heart open a little bit more and your mind and your spirit for, um, for being willing to receive that lightning bolt and stay with it um, as difficult or as painful as it might be, but to, um, to stay with it and let, it, um, let this message that we all need um, come forth from you. So thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.